Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. What a difference a year makes. Last June, many Americans celebrated Pride Month and marked the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots in Manhattan's Greenwich Village when members of the LGBT community rebelled against police during a raid at the Stonewall Inn in 1969. This June, everything feels different because of the pandemic and protests against police killings that are still happening across the nation. But Pride Month is important for many people who want to honor the contributions of those in the LGBTQ community. It's also a time to remember people who've been lost to HIV AIDS and to hate crimes. How are you marking Pride Month here in Connecticut? We want to hear from you. You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to welcome our first guest to the show. Mucha Mucha Placer is a Connecticut non-binary drag queen and a longtime LGBTQ community activist, also a licensed psychologist. Mucha, welcome to our show. Thank you, Lucy. It's a pleasure to be with you. I understand you've helped organize Pride events in Connecticut for many years. I wanted to ask you to share some memories of some Pride celebrations that have stood out in your mind. I'd love to. You might have to rein me in because I'll go on and on. <laughs> but it started for me at the very first that con- uh, turned into a continuous celebration that was on the back lawn of the old state house in 1982 while I was going to grad school at UConn. And it was a beautiful celebration, but small in numbers, but mighty in courage. Some of us had to wear masks because at that point there were no protections like there are today. And um, we feared losing our jobs or our partners or our houses, etc. So um, there was anonymity provided for folks who were in the crowd. And um, I've been involved now for at least 15 years in Hartford Pride. And um, we've always kind of been siloed in our celebrations throughout the state. And I got the inspiration last year and go into the uh, Middletown Parade, which was fabulous. They did a beautiful job for their first time ever doing it. It was really a great day and event. And so for the float, I had the the idea, let's showcase all the different prides throughout Mm -hmm. the state of Connecticut who are doing um, pride celebrations. Um, Because it's one thing to come out by going to New York with the anonymity of going there. But it's another thing being out within your own hometown. Mm. And people are taking the initiative all over the place, from Torrington to Tolland to Deep River um, to, you know, locally here in Hartford and West Hartford and, you know, all over the state. And so the float paid tribute, and we encourage folks to march with us in the parade, and New London was there and other um, folks from community. And so it kind of snowballed from there that we have started to connect collaboratively through 
Facebook and other means, we met together in Meriden for a summit of all the pride organizers here in Connecticut coming together and saying, you know, we can benefit from staying together. Mm. And of course, this was prior to the onset of COVID and now even more the need to come together and support one another. Mucha, tell us, it it must be a a sense of heartbreak too when there's been so much planning and that feeling of unity and supporting one another. And because of this pandemic, like so many uh, things, the pandemic has changed how we plan, how we celebrate, how we get together. And so tell me a little bit more about how Pride organizers around the state, when you decided to shift and how you're still hoping to mark and have been marking Pride the last couple of weeks. Sure. Um, Yeah, we've been, you know, collectively on an emotional tsunami, I'd Mm -hmm. say, with a ton of emotions that have happened this year. Um, Our fears and our anticipatory grief and our loneliness and our disappointment and anger at, you know, things not happening. Um, And so collectively coming together um, provides us an opportunity through crisis to do things a little differently. So um, different communities are doing things differently, but it's amazing. For the month of June, we have a pride calendar of all the statewide efforts that are happening. Every day but about four have an event throughout the month of June. And so people are doing it in a variety of ways, whether it be a flag raising or an art celebration where, um, you know, exhibits from the last year were dis- on display and now virtually displayed through videos. There's been a beautiful outpouring of creative energy to make the most out of this dreadful mm. set of circumstances. You're hearing On Where We Live, Mucha Mucha Placer, a Connecticut non-binary drag queen, also a licensed psychologist, a longtime LGBTQ community activist, as we take time to talk about how Connecticut is marking Pride Month. We want to hear from you. Um, we want to hear how you have shifted in this pandemic and why this month is especially important to you. The number 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Mucha, certainly a lot has changed in Connecticut and across our country since that time in in 1982 when you mentioned that first gay pride rally on the grounds of the old state house. The fact that so many pride events are virtual this month because of the pandemic, are you possibly reaching more people who maybe have never gone to pride or have had, um, this might be their first time uh, experiencing again that sense of community? Yes, and I'm going to address that in a second, but just to clarify, Lucy, just to back up, because um, I've been corrected about it when I've said it in the past, 1982 was the first that turned into a continuous in Hartford, but there was really one that was like a week-long celebration in the 70s. I don't know the exact date, but historically it's important for us to know our history, mm. and um, it was a week-long, but it did not turn into year after year, like we are celebrating now. Um, So um, 82 was the first of a continuing series of prides. And yes, we are reaching people who sometimes would probably never be able to get to pride. 
for a variety of barriers. It might be their own social anxiety or transportation or, um, you know, just um, things getting in the way, accessibility issues. And so we need to continue to break down that, those barriers. I know one of the barriers is for the folks who are hearing impaired that we need to do more to do signing on even our virtual things so that, um, you know, it is accessible to all. But yes, this is making Pride much more accessible. And I feel we have to make a commitment to continuing this that there be a segment always that will be virtual to make it truly accessible to all. You can join our conversation again, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Kamora is joining us on the phone. Kamora, welcome to the show. Good morning, and how are you, Mucha? Good morning, beautiful people. Good morning to you. So glad you're here, Kamora. Tell us about a, about Casey. Oh, I'm taking over the show. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, because, no, I want to talk more about this virtual thing. Can we talk about how amazing it is that we are learning about accessibility in places where, like, w- one of the things I think is a plus or, or a positive outcome of COVID is we never would have thought of, of this as a way to make pride much more accessible to the entire community. Um, and I'm reminded of that scene in Milk when they're in San Francisco, right, and all of the gay men are uh-huh. celebrating because we're, we're, we're being out, we're proudly proclaiming who we are, and there's oh. a young man who just gets the phone number and he calls Harvey Milk. And he says, you know, basically, I want to be a part of this. And Harvey's like, get on a bus and come here. And then you see that the young man is in a wheelchair and he cannot physically get there. And it is a place of, oh, wow, accessibility is the issue. And, and oh, year, I think about that young man, there's space for him this year. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, you're right. And so we need to continue to test ourselves and, and question ourselves, who is this not accessible for and how, we, how can we make it more accessible? Kamora, you do the cultural corner in Hartford. Tell us about some of the events that you've been doing this month, especially in June. Uh, well, we, we are a part of the larger Connecticut Virtual Pride. So um, if you saw the beautiful Pride Parade that we figured out how to do online, um, Cultural Corner, we do our community conversations. One evening, about 10 minutes before the community conversation showed up, the KCC of queer artists um, showed up in my at my house, and we ran around outside with some Pride flags for about 10 minutes, videotaped it, added it to the CT Pride virtual video, um, and then had our community conversation about the intersections of being all of who we are in America. Um, so we've kept our community conversations, which are weekly community, community conversations, and those are designed to be brave and dangerous spaces where very diverse human beings with very diverse opinions, ideas, and values can get together and have respectful conversations where we don't all agree to disagree, but where we can start really talking about who we are and what we what what who we, what that means to be who we are and what that brings to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so the mm-hmm. regular Wednesdays are happening. But then every other week, we're a bunch of queer artists. So we have our open mic, which had been in a monthly open mic, and we were loving that. Um, like I, I had this crew of young black 
gay teenage boys who would come in, and they were just the best because they would have their poetry books, and they would sit there quietly in the back and not say anything until we were about ready to call it a night, and then it's like, um, excuse me, I've got a poem I want to share, and then amazing poetry would come out. So, so that crew, and they found their tribe, like they found each other, and it was amazing that that was happening. And then we had to go virtual, and I knew that we were going to lose all of the community stuff that we had going on. Um, but we went virtual because we had to, and we're a bunch of artists, so everyone lost their jobs, everyone lost their gigs. And we just figured out, so we've got, we, your, your interviewer asked me what my PGPs are, and she, hers primarily. So we've created this fun place where we've got the PGP program, which is our Patreon giving program. And through that, folks just donate to... Well, they donate to us, and then we distribute that money to all of our different artists. So once we ended up online, all of our artists share their cash app, if they've got a cash app, and then we, we give them money, and we encourage absolutely everyone who's there at the open mic to give them money as well. Um, and when we think about disparities, and, and this is Pride Month and we're celebrating, but when we think about disparities and how that affects queer folks and how it definitely affects black and brown queer folks, and then, you know, let's really talk about our trans brothers and sisters and how they are disaffected. A whole bunch of our folks don't have bank accounts. So again, I know that, I, that I've got a great idea and a great handle on my community, but once this hit and it was time to start really thinking about how we were going to really fundamentally support our folks, I had to realize, okay, I can't cash app everyone. We're going to have to physically get in cars with dollars and go give them to people in our community um, because the jobs just aren't there right now. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Kamara, for, for calling in to where we live. Uh, she mentioned PGP, again, preferred gender pronouns. Uh, before we head to break, Mucha, talk more about the importance of having uh, queer spaces again, because uh, not everyone's home is a haven during this pandemic, and it's important to provide a community and a, a sense of belonging to people who may not have that support at home. Yes, it's something that um, that I'm taking on personally with um, my role as the mother of the House of Pleasure that we um, are, you learn more about it through Pose and, and some of the new initiatives around the house ballroom community. But oftentimes, um, as we're coming out as young folks, we are ostracized from our own families. And so we've developed chosen families and um, my chosen family, we're doing Zoom, too, mm-hmm. uh, every other Thursday night um, to just connect with one another and remove the social isolation. The New Haven Pride Center is doing beautiful things in a warm line and, and helping to support young folks um, uh, throughout the state. And if I could just come back to one thing that Kamara just mentioned, which is Paying tribute to a, a video that we put together. The the challenges um, that our typical rituals around pride, the ways we work through grief, is through rituals. And you know we're grieving not having pride, and the rituals around it have been rallies and parades and and festivals. And to do that virtually has been a challenge. Check out on Connecticut Virtual Pride 2020 on Facebook. There is a video that we did about 30 to 40 minute video. And tell us what you think um, where we've tried to highlight um, those three um, particular rituals for our community um, by showing some Connecticut folks and, and what they do to 
support our community because mm-hmm. there's been great work done by our community to support one another. Well, thank you for that resource for our listeners. Uh, you mentioned the New Haven Pride Center, uh, something in the pandemic uh, that has shown uh, so many disparities in our country uh, that existed before uh, COVID-19. But you'd mentioned what the New Haven Pride Center is doing, uh, including food shares uh, for people yeah. that are experiencing food insecurity, Mucha. Yes. So that's a great initiative that I think is going to continue through at least July, um, where they have, I'm not sure the number, but in the hundreds of families who are insecure around food because of no paycheck, you know, unemployment taken forever if one was employed or hardly any resources. And so to address that, they've taken the initiative to um, fundraise and giving back to community um, in the greater New Haven area with food insecurity. Coming up, we're going to talk about how the pandemic is affecting the LGBTQ community specifically, but I wanted to ask you what your thoughts are. We heard Kamora mention the importance of, of again, having space and with for youth, especially uh, black and brown uh, gay youth uh, in our state. But I'm wondering with the elderly um, in the LGBTQ community, uh, what have you been hearing? Yes. So, you know, we've lost many of our elders um, to COVID and um, there are some initiatives. Um, There is an aging project. I wish I knew their website or how to get in touch, but um, we'll post it on the Connecticut Virtual Pride uh, 2020. But there are resources. It's like a movable um, initiative that goes to different um, senior centers and and talks to queer community and broader community about the needs of the LGBT community. Um, And uh, Professor um, uh, Colleen, who wanted to call in, um, is one of the folks involved in um, that initiative. So I'll get the details and post it on our um, Facebook page for those interested. You can join our conversation. Again, we want to know how you're marking Pride Month. Uh, The number 888-720-9677. Sean's calling in from Hartford. Hi, Sean. How are you? Hey, Lucy. How's it going? We're doing well. Um, And good morning, Lucha. Good morning, Donald. Glad you're here. Thank you. Um, I'm just calling in because I just want to touch on something Mucha just mentioned about queer spaces. You know, in the past, we used to have these queer hubs, whether it was the bars or the old Reader's Feast, places like that, where we could gather, you know, in places like the Reader's Feast, when a bunch of us were arrested during the gay rights struggle, um, you know, that's where we went after we were released, Mm -hmm. um, to be in community. And we just don't have those spaces anymore. So I think um, the community uh, has really had to become more creative about where we find each other and where we gather um, and where we feel uh, connected to community and feel safe. So, Mm -hmm. and I commend Muta for doing the virtual um, House of Pleasure, uh, you know, Zoom meetings every week. Uh, That's a brilliant Mm -hmm. thing to do in this day and age. Right. Thank you, doll. And you're right. And we don't have, um, you know, a space these watch parties while we're watching Facebook kind of turn into kind of pseudo community. 
um, you know, until we can safely hug and get back together, um, we've found a variety of alternative means to connect. Well, I want to thank Sean for calling in to Where We Live. You can too, 888-720-9677. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. My guest today, Mucha Mucha Placer, a Connecticut non-binary drag queen, a longtime LGBTQ community activist. How are you marking pride? We want to hear from you. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We'll continue talking after the break. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're talking to members of Connecticut's LGBTQ community today because June is Pride Month. In Connecticut, Pride parades and celebrations have had to shift because of the pandemic. Middletown's Pride Festival and Parade were among the cancellations this year thanks to COVID-19. Last year, Middletown's inaugural celebration attracted thousands of people to the city's downtown. How are you marking Pride Month? We want to hear from you. You can join us, 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, my guest on uh, phone today is Mucha Mucha Placer, a Connecticut non-binary drag queen, a longtime LGBTQ community activist, also works as a psychologist uh, in Hartford. You can join us as well, 888-720-9677, and find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I wanted to take a, a quick call. Raven's calling in from the Greater Hartford Advocacy Center. Raven, you're on the show. Hey, so tell us what you wanted to share for our show today. So the Greater Harvard Advocacy Center is holding a trans women of color virtual forum on June 30th from 1 to 3 p.m. It'll be me, myself, Raven, of course, Kamara Harrington from Kamara's Cultural Corner, who's also on the radio. And we're going to be talking about the experiences and victimization of trans women of color. Uh, if anyone's interested, they can call 860-714-5052 to register. All are welcome. If you want to share, if you just want to listen, let us know. Okay, that's it. Well, thank you, Raven, for calling in to the show, and we'll be sh- sure to share that on our social media as well. I wanted to bring into the conversation now on Zoom, Eric Russell. He's an attorney at Pullman and Comley and former chair of the LGBT section of the Connecticut Bar Association. Eric, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucy. Thank you for having me. Raven brought up a great point about a, a panel discussion about trans women of color. Uh, when we think about all of the uh, successes and achievements that the gay rights movement has achieved over the last uh, few decades, we, we do know that trans women of color uh, still face a lot of challenges, barriers. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, and certainly the case, and uh, we've seen this uh, across the board and for, for years now. Um, last year, there were 26 uh, murders of transgender um, folks, and 91% of those were uh, Black trans women. Uh, similar statistics for 2018, and this has uh, been a, a huge problem. I think this ties into much of what's going on uh, right now with respect to the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole. Um, But specifically with trans women, I think there is this uh, dehumanization um, of trans women of color. 
Um, and it's a little bit ironic when you think about the LGBTQ movement as a whole, mm -hmm. um, and in a lot of ways, how quickly, uh, how quickly the movement has has taken hold. But we forget that uh, the Stonewall riots 51 years ago started uh, mostly with trans women of color, um, and it, it's interesting that through that, uh, the trans community has actually been the last one, last community to really benefit from a lot of the progress that we've made. Mm. Mucha, I wanted you to pick up on, on Eric's point. Yes. I'm so glad you did, Eric. It started as a riot that led to a movement of change, which continues. And um, you're right, it was Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson and Stormé Delarme who were uh, three of the pivotal folks um, who were willing to raise the courage to to fight back and to throw pennies and coins at the police who were coming in for the payoffs like they used to do. And it was that night on June 27th in 1969 that we finally collectively said, no more, we need to stand up to oppression. The fight continues for trans women of color, especially with the latest out of Washington around um, forbidding athletes and threatening to defund school programs because of uh, allowing trans young women of color to um, compete in their gender. So um, the fight continues. We're doing a wonderful tribute to Sylvia Rivera on Saturday. She's never had her own documentary. And a local activist, Jerry Marie Lysigan, um, put together a wonderful documentary that we're watching together on our site. And um, it's the beginning of paying props to one of the founders that um, stood up to oppression and, and giving her her props. Mm -hmm. Eric Russell, it's interesting that this year there's a convergence of events uh, in the month of June uh, with the fact that it's Pride Month, but also a majority of the U.S. Supreme Court uh, ruling that, uh, that, again, employers cannot fire people for being gay and transgender. And that's a really big deal. And I'm just wondering if you could talk more about your reaction to that and where you'd like to see, again, this movement go in terms of uh, affording more protections uh, to the LGBTQ community, including trans women of color. Sure. And so this was obviously a, a very big victory for the LGBTQ community. Um, I think one thing that's really important to note um, about the case is that the decision uh, is limited to the employer-employee context. So um, while this was huge, because I, I think, especially when you talk about employment and the fact that this really impacts every um, aspect of the LGBT community, um, gender identity and sexual orientation are still a basis for uh, discrimination in many other aspects um, of, of life. So housing, education, uh, so on and so forth. I think, along with many other things, there's still so many, so much work to be done um, as far as, as LGBTQ rights are concerned. Um, fortunately, due to the work and dedication of so many here in Connecticut, uh, we've led the way in protecting uh, our community here. But um, that's not the case in many other places. And prior to this decision, the majority of states, um, someone could be fired because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, 
over the last four years, we've seen tremendous efforts by the current administration to roll back protections and um, so much progress that um, has been made. And we've seen this in, in every aspect of life. Um, recently, the uh, governor of Tennessee signed a signed legislation allowing adoption agencies to discriminate against same-sex couples. Uh, we've seen attacks um, by the current administration with respect to the trans military ban, rolling back protections in healthcare, allowing healthcare institutions and insurance companies to discriminate against LGBTQ patients um, and trans kids in our school, whether it be uh, them allowing, being allowed to use uh, bathrooms that they feel comfortable with or um, discrimination in sports. One, um, I'm hoping that these, that this change is going to come through legislation and we've seen efforts to do that the Equality Act was passed by Congress and is currently sitting um, on Senator McConnell's desk. Um, and the Equality Act would address this directly. So like in Connecticut, where we have uh, sexual orientation and gender identity as part of our anti-discrimination statutes, um, the Equality Act would, would do the same and would uh, protect LGBTQ folks in kind of every aspect. Um, whether it be housing or education, employment, uh, so on and so forth. You can join our conversation here on Where We Live, 888-720-9677, as we talk about pride. Uh, Robin's calling in from Manchester. Robin, you're on the show. Hi, thanks very much, Lucy. Great to great to talk with you. Hi, Muncha. Um, Hi, Robin. So, <laughs> so um, I'm the, the executive director um, of True Colors. You know, we do education and advocacy around LGBTQ plus youth. Um, in Hartford, and um, and so just a, a couple of things. Just a couple of things I want to share first is that you know we're doing uh, twice weekly um, online groups for young people, which we've decided we're going to continue once the pandemic ends because we're getting youth from all over who are able to participate, who weren't able to participate, you know, when we were holding them, you know, face to face in our offices um, here in Hartford and and in Bridgeport. Um, so that's a really cool thing. And I don't know if anybody mentioned yet about queer prom. Oh, we're going to be talking about that and coming up. (laughs) Okay. So I'll leave that out for now and you can talk about that (laughs) later. Because it sounds like a great time. (laughs) Yeah. And we're one of the co-sponsors. So we're really excited about that. Um, so a couple of things, some of the. Robin, before you move on, would you mind saying how queer youth would get in touch around those, uh, groups? Would it be on your website? Sure. Or? Um, they, um, the, the easiest way is on our Facebook page. It's the GSA um, Facebook page, and all okay. of the links are there. Um, Beautiful. And then, you know, it, I think they're also on the website. Um, and they can okay. always call in the office, and we could get that, or email um, gsa at rtruecolors.org, and they could get Perfect. that information. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Tuesdays are game night, and Fridays are guest speakers. Mm-hmm. So, um and then there's a lot of activities that go on around that. One of the things that we've really been seeing over the course of the pandemic um, is that, you know, the number of reports of abuse and neglect to DCF have gone down substantially because there's so many fewer eyes on young people. And the amount of calls and emails we get from youth who are struggling um, at home, either because they're not out and and they're feeling really isolated or they are out and their families are not supportive um, those numbers have gone up dramatically and even the trevor 
um, hotline, which is a suicide prevention hotline, the numbers of calls to the hotline has gone up three or four times um, since the start of the pandemic. So I think a lot of the stuff online is really helpful, but it also leaves out a certain amount of kids who don't have access to um, technology, for example. Two of our youth leaders, two of the people, the young people that we, um, our staff, um, their computers, you know, once school ended, they had to give their computers back. So, you know, that there's a, I think that that's a real issue, especially for people who are wanting to celebrate pride. Um, and then I think the last thing I would say is something that, you know, Kamora probably already brought up, but I, I was struck with the Supreme Court ruling in that, you know, in that moment of feeling both really excited to have some federal protections around that, but thinking about my young people that we work with who are black and brown, who, you know, have these intersectional identities. And on the one hand, they, um, you know, they could experience this, like, yes, one part of my identity has been um, uh, valued and accepted, but then there's this other part of my identity where people are being killed Mm -hmm. in the streets. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, I think that, that, that's a, a huge, a huge issue. And, you know, places like, you know, Kamora's Cultural Corner are making a huge difference. The New Haven Pride Center has a group um, for specifically for LGBTQ plus youth of color. And so I know that, that people are, are trying to do more. We've sort of hooked up with Moral Monday Connecticut and are supporting their work. And I, and I just heard there's a group of college students who are um, hosting a protest in East Hartford coming up um, that, that I think they're, they're trying to put a lot of people around that um, event, and that's an intersectional queer mm-hmm. um, black and brown event. Well, Robin, thank you so much for bringing up those important points here on Where We Live. I wanted to ask our guest, Eric Russell, uh, to chime in, especially when you bring up the intersectionality between racial justice and LGBTQ rights uh, uh, happening now, Eric. Yes, I I think it's been really uh, interesting. I've struggled with uh, the idea of really celebrating pride uh, as I normally do, I think because my attention is is so focused on what's happening um, across the country right now. Um, I think one thing that's been encouraging is that, and, and, and interesting is that so many of the people that I know, I'm um, in Connecticut that were really involved in the LGBTQ movement, uh, have been really involved in the Black Lives Matter movement as well. And I think, though the causes are are very different in some ways, there is a shared understanding of what it's like to be discriminated against and, and be oppressed. Um, I think these issues again, very different. The, the long history of oppression and systemic racism in this country is, I think, much more deeply rooted. It's, it's, and it's built into every system, um, some very intentional and, and some just in effect when you think about issues of education and the fact that, in effect, we still have segregated schools in Connecticut and our criminal justice system and economic opportunity, um, access to healthcare, all across the board. Um, but I, I think it's really encouraging that right now there are so many people from across the state and country who haven't historically taken an interest in some of these causes really impacting the black community. Um, and like with the LGBTQ community, it's going to take allies uh, to use their positions of power 
to amplify the voice um, and support the black community to help fight for really meaningful and systemic uh, change in this country. Uh, Eric Russell, I introduced you as an attorney at Pullman and Comley, uh, and you are involved in uh, politics here in our state. But for our listeners who may not know um, your background, you are a black gay man, and I understand that you also spend time mentoring LGBTQ youth and, and also future attorneys. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. It's, it's something that I don't know that I intentionally uh, jumped into, but it certainly has happened over time. And for me, it was it's really important because uh, I, I did not grow up around attorneys. I did not um, have LGBTQ mentors as a child or people that I knew that were successful and, and openly gay. Um, and it was really the, the mentors that I developed um, throughout my, my education and career that uh, helped pave the way for me. So um, Justice uh, Andrew McDonald being uh, mm-hmm. one of them and Mike Lawler, who is a, a state representative from East Haven, and so so many others that have really been impactful in um, helping to to kind of pave the way and, and show what opportunities were out there, and that you could be out and, and gay and successful um, and, and be accepted and be yourself. And so I've taken that on as um, a real passion because I think, um, in addition to representatives from the LGBT community, um, the legal community is really lacking uh, the diversity that it should have here in Connecticut. And again, as we start to talk about Black Lives Matter, all of these things we have to remember are intertwined. Um, And until we really start to to address the systemic issues we have um, with respect to race in this country, it's going to be hard to to make real change. And this impacts, again, when we start talking about education and employment opportunities, um, it, that's really, ju- it's just a passion of mine, I think, to give, uh, to help people along the way um, and hopefully give some opportunities uh, to, to people who haven't had them in the past. Mm-hmm. I wanted to fit one more call before we head to break. Uh, Colleen's calling in from New Britain. Colleen, you're on the show. Hi, good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I'm part of an organization called um, LGBT Aging Advocacy. We founded, <clears throat> we founded the group back in um, 2013, and we really address issues um, around older LGBT folks. Uh, we're working to create an open and affirming aging services environment, and uh, we have a Facebook page. Um, we work with uh, different organizations like Connecticut Community Care uh, and the Getting It Right campaign, uh, training um, healthcare workers and organizations to be LGBT friendly and to understand what older LGBT folks go through. Well, thank you, Colleen, for telling us about uh, your organization. Uh, we're almost out of time. I wanted to go back to Mucha for some final thoughts again on Pride Month, uh, the shift to so many virtual events. You've shared some great resources with us as well as our listeners. Uh, but there's still a couple, about a week and a half left of June. Uh, what's coming up that, that you want to make sure we highlight? There's going to be a safe protest on Friday starting at noon at the Capitol organized by the Central uh, Connecticut State University Pride Organization. Um, I'm going to, the attire is black, all black, because it is the intersectionality with Black Lives Matter, as well as pride, pride and protests, 12 o'clock at the Capitol. 
And there's also an event, um, two events on Saturday I'd like to highlight. One is we're showing the second part of the Sylvia Rivera documentary on our Facebook page. And the finale is Global Pride. There's an organization throughout the world called Interpride, and there will be a 24-hour streaming that will um, start on the 27th and go to the 28th, where all the different countries around the world have submitted videos of performances and speeches and, um, you know, personal messages of what pride means to folks from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So check that out, Global Pride 2020 on Facebook. And, and thank Mucha, you, Lucas. Oh, and Mucha, just uh, quickly, the Facebook uh, page that you have referenced, uh, tell me what okay. people can search uh, to find that. Yep. Connecticut Virtual Pride 2020. Wonderful. Well, mucha, mucha placer. It's been a pleasure to speak with you again, a longtime LGBTQ community activist. And Eric Russell, thank you too for joining us on Zoom. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Lucy. This is Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we're going to talk more about how the pandemic has affected the LGBTQ community in our state. We're going to talk to the Hartford Gay and Lesbian Health Collective after the break. You can join us too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. The COVID-19 pandemic has affected LGBTQ Americans, a community that's already vulnerable to disparities in health care and employment. USA Today reported multiple LGBTQ advocacy groups saying this is a population with a growing number of positive COVID cases. Joining me now by phone is Linda Estabrook, Executive Director of Hartford Gay and Lesbian Health Collective. Linda, welcome to our show. Linda, can you hear me? Uh, yes. Hi, Linda. This is Lucy. You're on live now on where we live. Uh, thank you okay. for joining us right now. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for asking. Uh, briefly, tell us about your organization. How long have you been in the community and who are the people you help? So the Hartford Gay and Lesbian Health Collective has been in existence since 1983. And we started as a volunteer organization providing um, some medical services and also when HIV testing became available, um, HIV testing in the mid-80s. And we've evolved into an organization providing services to the LGBTQ community, um, a variety of services, whether it's transgender uh, support services or our uh, sexually transmitted disease medical clinic, a, a, a location in Manchester serving people living with HIV and AIDS, um, HIV testing, uh, oral health services. We were the the first entity in the in the state in the mid '90s that started providing oral health services, dental services specifically to people living with HIV and AIDS. And at the time, it was very hard for people who um, had HIV and AIDS to get oral health services. And we stepped up to the plate. Mm. Uh, tell me more about how this pandemic is affecting Connecticut residents and the LGBTQ community and how the pandemic has affected your organization. So back in um, April, um, Patrick Dunn from the New Haven Pride Center initiated a, a needs assessment survey to go out to our community 
statewide um, asking questions about um, COVID and impact and um, potential impact. And, you know, some examples statewide were that that 7.4% of the respondents reported being food insecure, but then it jumped to um, 41, over 41% saying that they were they were either currently food insecure or might become food insecure after April 30th. And that's a very basic need, obviously, in terms of needing to get something to eat. There were, there's, the data also shows that, that while 6% of respondents said that they were housing insecure, it went up to almost 29% that after April 30th, because of the impact of, of COVID, <clears throat> they potentially could be, um, uh, more people to be housing insecure. And so a lot of essentially the various things that we've seen and have been reported about people losing their jobs and losing income and potentially and losing housing and stuff, all of that, all of those things impact the LGBT community also. And they, what compounds this is that you you can you take a, a marginalized com, people in a marginalized community that there are already disparities and then you throw on top of it something significant you know it could be a flood in some areas it could be tornado in some areas whatever but you throw a pandemic mm-hmm. on top of it and it just massively exacerbates and calls to the fore what has been existing because it's just gotten so significantly worse. Um, we, we decided at the health collective to transition our service delivery from, you know, essentially just about everything is in person and, and switching over to some virtual, uh, really beefing up our virtual uh, presence through our Facebook pages and doing um, educational programming about uh, about COVID, but also other um, health issues and service issues that are re- related to um, what we usually do, and doing uh, videos, for mm-hmm. example, on a particular topic about uh, hand washing, and doing that doing that video in English and in Spanish, and then presenting a. Um, conversation, discussion about it in English and in Spanish. Mm. Um, so we've been doing that for uh, uh, since the end of April. We've switched over like an in-person support group into a virtual support group. Um, and there's, and then now that, and with our oral health services, we had, we've been providing emergency services um, also, with our medical services, facilitating people's access to service that maybe we're not providing, but, you know, connecting them to providers that could um, help them. Um, so we, it's been a lot of creativity that's gone into this. And now we're at the point of, of we've been figuring out um, PPE, you know, the personal protective mm-hmm. equipment, um, purchasing that, which has been a whole other adventure. You yeah. hear the horror stories. Um, we've had those horror stories, mm-hmm. um, but we're, we're working on the process of getting back mm-hmm. into normal, normal, unusual service delivery yeah. in the face of a pandemic. 
And I understand you had to close your organization temporarily. When do you expect to reopen? So we're working on that actually for this week and, and gradually, um, you know, starting small, like with medical services, starting with immunizations. Um, for example, we provide the Gardasil immunizations. Mm -hmm. so, so a lot of that stuff has been delayed. Um, and then needing to figure out the policies and procedures that go along with how do you provide that service safely for the, for the staff and the volunteers and, and for the client coming in. Um, so a lot of thought has gone into that. And so we're starting with um, immunizations this week and then also with some, some oral health uh, services um, that are minimally, minimally um, in, invasive and impactful in terms of mm -hmm. like, like the um, aerosolized um, uh, things that happen when you're providing dental services. Mm -hmm. It's a very intimate experience. Mm -hmm. And so we've been purchasing um, all kinds of equipment and doing training with equipment that minimizes that, that risk mm -hmm. so that people can feel as safe as possible coming in. Well, Linda, Linda Estabrook, we thank you for talking with us, Executive Director of Hartford Gay and Lesbian Health Collective. Again, uh, you and True Colors, uh, your organizations are hosting a virtual prom, a virtual queer prom. We're going to put information on our website and Twitter at Where We Live. Linda, thank you for your time. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible. Carmen Baskoff on the phones today. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.